Welcome to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. This is Stacy Eldridge, and for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about Defiant Joy. It's my new book that's coming out October 16th. Today, I have the honor and the delight to be with Sheila Walsh. I don't think she needs any introduction. She is an author, a writer, a singer, a speaker with an amazing reach, bringing the gospel of truth all over the world. Maybe you've seen her on Life Today on Wednesdays in the Word program. Sheila's married. She has one son named Christian who is an Aggie, isn't he, Sheila? He just got his ring, I think, this week. He did. It was a very, very big day. We were so proud. I bet you were. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me, Stacy. So, though Sheila is joining me today to talk about Defiant Joy, I have to tell you that she has a new book coming out this week called It's Okay Not to Be Okay, Moving Forward One Day at a Time. Sheila, that is a fabulous title. Well, it took me a long time to be able to come to that place because I, you know, I actually found an old photograph when I was like 21 graduating from seminary. I've got my graduation gown on and I've got this look of I'm going out there to save the world for Jesus. And I sometimes wish I could sit down with her and tell her, hey, this is not going to be the life you imagined. You know, you're going to disappoint people. They'll disappoint you. But through that whole journey, it's changed how I see people, not as causes to be saved, but as people to be loved. Oh, that is so good. I, I'm so glad because I did want to hear a little bit more about it. And it and it seems like in what I've read is that the underlying message is it's love. He yeah. loves you and it's love that transforms you. It's not it's not getting it together, getting your act, but it's actually fixing your gaze and receiving his love. Yeah, and I used to, for so many years, I was so hard on myself. I really pursued perfection. And it's, it's a soul-destroying thing. But now I pursue Christ, who is perfect. If, you just, if, if this was video, I would just be smiling very, very large. <laughs> I, can, I can hear you smiling. Can you hear me smiling? <laughs> so it's, it, I really feel like it's a hand-in-hand message. And, and her book, Sheila, is authentic. She's honest. She's vulnerable. And you have been for a very long time. I only got your book not very long ago, but even just flicking through some of the chapters, I am, when you just hear the title Defiant Joy, it, it, I I don't know, you need to, if you haven't ordered this book, people yet, you need to, because when you dive in, you realize this is something that is offered to all of us. And also, the thing I kept thinking was, you know, we are worth fighting for. Christ thought we were worth dying for. So this joy that you write about is worth fighting for. It is. And I love it that it is actually our birthright. I mean, we are exhorted to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And if He tells us to do it, then He will make a way for it. And it really has something to do about our foundation and our rootedness. I, I write in the book about things that knock us off our feet. Um, things that are familiar to all of us, um, comparison, which is a thief of joy, mm-hmm. pain, loss, suffering, things that we, we all know. But oh, when I just say those things to you, comparison, pain, loss, suffering, are any of those more familiar to you than others? 
that would be every single one of them. But, yes. you know, when you talk about comparison, I remember when I was invited to join Women of Faith, um, I had never been a speaker before. I was in television. I used to work with the BBC in London. Then I co-hosted the 700 Club. I was a musician. But the thought of speaking to a group of women terrified me. And But finally, when I met the other speakers and I thought, no, I think I could do this because one thing was clear that Christ was the hero of their stories. Yes. And that made it possible. But until the first event, and I listened to Barbara Johnson speak, and I listened to Patsy Claremont speak. And at the break, I locked myself in the restroom and I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. I, I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not as funny as Patsy. And I'm not, I don't have the wisdom of Barbara. But the thing that kept coming to me over and over again was, Sheila, run in your own lane. Don't look to what's happening on the right or the left because there's something unique that God has given each one of us. And if we spend our time looking at what somebody else has got, you're going to miss the beauty that's you. Absolutely. And then I heard somebody also recently just talking about the fact that we have something unique that we can give to God that nobody else can give. So our our love for Him, my love for Him, your love for Him, those that are listening, what you offer Him is unique and different, and no one else can bless Him the way you can, which is just a really fun thought. Yeah, and you talk about that a little bit in your book. I can't remember who it was, but you quote from, initially we love for ourselves, then we, how does it go, then we love God for Right, it's from Bernard of Clairvaux. It's a really, yes, yes, it's a... And then we love God for God, and when you get to that place, that's where joy lives. It is. When we come to a revelation of who He is, that we love Him, not only because of what He can do for us and the grand benefits that we have of being His child, and there are millions of those, but when we grow past that to become so enamored with His character, His qualities, His beauty, and He captures our heart in in the deepest of ways, and that really becomes the anchor of our souls. Yeah, that's profoundly beautiful. You um, said in one talk that uh, we need a strong foundation on a stormy day. And I'd, I'd love to hear how, how, how'd you come to know that? Well, I think I based the first 35 years of my life on what I could get right. My father's suicide when I was five um, and his brain injury that made him appear to hate me before he died. So I grew up with such a sense of self-loathing, such a sense of shame, uh-huh. that the only, the only value I had in life was to get it all right. And, but then I, God and His mercy, and mercy is a small word, but it weighs a lot. And when I found myself um, in a psych hospital about the same age as my dad, with nothing left to commend myself, no good thing I could do, And I discovered, I mean, I actually wrote in my diary um, one night, I never knew you lived so close to the floor. Mm. I'm so used to worshiping God and His majesty, but I discovered the truth of Psalm 34, that God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed. And I began to re-understand what life is all about, not built on, in fact, the hymn that my grandmother, it was her favorite hymn when I was a child, and it was Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. But then these two lines, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Mm. And I, fi- I finally got it. I'm not the good news. Jesus is. I just 
want to pause there and let that sink in to everyone who is listening because somehow it creeps in. The world is shouting to us, look a certain way, do a certain thing, get the promotion, get the grade, get the guy, get the whatever, and then you will be worthy of love and um, and worthy of a good life. And the, the message of Jesus is completely opposite to that. It's so disarming that he says, you you have captured my heart right now. And this is yeah. actually about me. I love, he is the hero, capital H of our story. We're not the hero. It really can take the pressure off when we know that our circumstances are going to shift. We don't have any control over that. We, the phone rings. Yeah. We don't know what's coming our way. It might be great news. Maybe we want a car. I don't know. But <laughs> it could happen. Or it could be something far different. Our, our phone rang a couple weeks ago with news that, that put me on the floor. And, and Jesus is near the brokenhearted. Our circumstances yeah. waver, but he doesn't. Yeah. I wrote also in just this little paragraph um, in the book, and on says this, in Psalm 56, verse 8, the psalmist writes, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Our tears are treasured by our Father. In biblical times, people treasured their tears as well, collecting them in a little cherished container. They were the heart of life. Sacred tears shed in sorrow mingled together with holy tears shed in joy, the alpha and omega of a life fully lived. Some scholars believe that when the woman barged uninvited into the Pharisee's home and wept at Jesus' feet, washing them with her tears, she may have poured her precious little bottle of tears over him, symbolizing the totality of her life being offered. What I love about that is that, and and you speak to this so eloquently, that it's not our getting it all together and and living a pain-free life that is either promised or pursued in Jesus. He's after our hearts, not our duty, yeah. and certainly not our perfection. Yeah, yeah I found that just... Two or three years ago, I was hit with um, massive back pain mm-hmm. that got to the stage where I, I couldn't walk. And it felt as if there was just this door slammed in my face and I was left alone in the hallway. Mm. All the opportunities that seemed to be on the horizon. And it was, it was there that I learned the beauty of having gut-level, unedited, honest conversations with God. With every question I cried out, the answer was the same. I'll be there. Mm. I'll be there. And I realized that even at that stage in my life, I was slipping into the being identified by what I do rather than, than who I am. And that Christ is the redeemer in the hallway. If you find yourself in a place where a door has been slammed in your face, you are not alone. You may be in a waiting place. But I've discovered that sometimes those waiting places are sacred space. Mm. Yes. Yes, and they're not what we would have thought or what we have chosen, but but we know from our own lives and, and other stories and hearing you now that that in those places of suffering, gold is being forged, gold in knowing God yeah. in ways that we didn't before, in such a way that we can look back and we hear people say, I'm thankful for it because of what I have come to know of my God that I didn't before. Yeah, I remember Amy Carmichael talking about that when she was in China, watching someone take a piece of raw gold and putting it into the fire and then polishing it and putting it into the fire. 
And she said to him, when will you know it's finished? And he said, when I can see my face in it. Oh. And I think that's what God wants, that he can see his face in us. That is so good. And it's just beautiful. And what he wants for us. Um, in, in Defiant Joy and in and also in It's Okay Not to Be Okay, there's not a sense of striving, which which I think is really important that people don't go, okay, now here's the next thing I have to do. Um, I have to be joyful. I have to be joyful in all things. I've got to gut it out. And, and what I love is God's invitation for us to be authentic in the midst. Like he wants our, our true self in the midst. We don't have to fake it with him. He knows anyway. But but the fact that yeah. we get to be real with him and then in that place of realness, inviting his life to mm-hmm. fill us, that's, that's where the transformation takes place. His life in us has an effect and that can deepen us. Yeah. In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I was reading something that Dallas Willard wrote. What if that is not so much a destination as a diagnosis? What if it's more about talking about the way that we spend our Christian lives, just frantically trying to get it all right mm. and, and lose ourselves in the middle of it, lose who Christ has made us to be, lose the beauty of what it means to be alive in Him. So I'm, I really try now to to kind of edit my to-do list and focus a little bit more on my who I am list. This is just gold. So just for people that are listening right now, let that wash over you. That's truth. The invitation is to let go of the demands that we place on ourselves or others put on us in this to-do list, in this trying to ascend to be something that we think we need to be and instead rest in who God says we are. Our identity is found in in Him and what Jesus yeah. has done, not in what we do. I know you know this as well, yeah. too, that gratitude is so essential in the midst of our lives, even when we're in hard places, that gratitude actually unlocks joy, which I think is so fabulous, the way God made us, that in fact, our brains, He wired us in such a way that um, we can't mm-hmm. experience joy unless we're in a posture of gratitude. Um, you said something like uh, that when you get up in the morning, regardless of how you're feeling, you look for something good. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting because my husband and I have been married for 24 years, and he's quite a worrier. Um, <laughs> that's why my son and I call him Eeyore, because he always thinks that, you know, something is going to happen that won't be good. But I noticed a few months ago that he started to keep a gratitude journal. and and. First thing in the morning, um, even before anything has happened, he'll begin to write in his gratitude journal, and then I'll watch him do it at night. And I've watched the transformation take place. And, and for me, it can be as simple as, you know, we have three dogs, two Bichons and a Yorkie. I mean, and they're just adorable. And the Yorkie <laughs> is incredibly naughty. So she's my favorite. But in the morning, I just, you know, I, I'll get up. And I, like this morning, it was lovely here in Dallas, which is unusual. It was 74, sunny, but cool. And I just sat out in the little yard and I didn't even sit in the seat. I took a little blanket and I sat in the grass and looked up at the trees and just thanked yes. God for the beauty of that moment. Gratitude shapes and shifts our heart. It does. It does. So you're seeing a, you're seeing a little difference in Eeyore then? Are you going to rename him? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just give him a couple of months before he becomes really Tigger. Good. 
Yeah, it's, you know, it can kind of sound trite when people talk about a gratitude journal and I keep it next to my bed or I do, but it can change your life. It really can. Yeah, it unlocks the door for God to come in. Absolutely. It does. What I what I like to encourage people to do as well is if you can't think of anything that you're grateful for in the moment, begin by listing things that you like. I I like coffee. I personally like coffee very yeah. much in the morning and um or I like the sound of wind in the trees, the the smell of grass that's been that's been mowed or the sound of children laughing and we'll find and I want to encourage people actually to do this because you will find that there's a lot of things you like and just shifting our gaze from from sorrow or from the real weight that are in our life to the goodness things we enjoy it bears a good fruit Mm, yeah and there's something beautiful about when you pour out too, because I'm a big advocate of both, of profound yes. gratitude and honest conversation. And when we pour out what we've been holding inside, when we let that all out, it leaves space for grace. It leaves space for the grace and the love of God to move into the places where we've been holding yes. on to things yes. that are damaging I, I really love that God is not after the person we think we ought to be. And, and the truth is that denial... Yeah, uh, living in denial or refusing to face reality or pretending that what's going on is actually not taking place, that is not the breeding ground of joy. It, it cannot flourish in a place of denial. It really only comes when we will embrace reality and invite Jesus into it. Yeah, absolutely. I, You know, it's interesting. I was in Cambodia not so long ago uh, working with, um, we have a thing called Rescue Life where we get young girls out of sex traffic and, and get them into a home, a, a house we've built called the House of Destiny and begin to rebuild their lives. But I was visiting one of the worst slums I'd ever seen. And I stepped outside for a bit and realized mm. there was a huge Buddhist temple right next door covered in golden domes. And I asked through my translator, you know, why isn't some of the money from that used to perhaps alleviate some of the suffering of the poor? And the, the, the priest said, you know, the poor do not deserve to be helped. If they will take the little they have and give it to us, then perhaps next time they will be reincarnated to a better life. And they said it's, it's called karma. But, you know, grace is the antithesis of karma. Yes. We get what we don't deserve. Grace is love stooping down uh, and picking us up. Sheila, tell me a little bit about your hope. Oh, my hope is... It starts as this little thing in me because I I still have to take medication for depression every day. I've tried to go off a couple of times and that did not work well. It's another book. Um, but my hope is, is even at this age and stage, as I'm beginning to relax and, and allow the love of God to be in front of me, behind me, underneath me, that is what I want. Um, for other women. My passionate commitment until the day that I die or Jesus takes me home is to help women understand you don't have to be enough. Christ is enough. You don't have to be perfect. Christ is perfect. God is not against you. God is for you. And my life scripture is found in Acts 20 verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus 
the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Amen. Um, What about another verse? I know that one of your favorites is Psalm 143, verse (laughs) 8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have placed my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. And what I love about that is says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, not mine. I'll fail. Um, For I have placed my trust in you. There's an intentionality there. There's a focus, there's a direction. And then a commitment to show me the way I should go. For to you, I entrust my life, my family, my health, my finances, my children. Trustworthy hands, God. That is so, so beautiful. Um, My mind is spinning in a thousand different directions. But I wanted to say, like, um, thank you for sharing that about um, just the battle with depression. It's mine as well. I love taking the taboo off of the fact that some of us need medication, you know, and it's a gift from God. So for those that are listening that feel a little shame about that, no, no, there is nothing but mercy and God provides all kinds of help for body, soul, and spirit. So what you just said about we don't have to be perfect, he is perfect, is is brilliant. And the shifting of our gaze, our gaze, when it's on our circumstances, we go for a roller coaster ride. Life will do that. But but Jesus mm. is meant to be the anchor yeah. of our soul, immovable, steadfast, because he is immovable and steadfast. And talking with you, I can just feel my heart begin to burn in my chest because um because you love him. And this is just kind of a funny question. Mm. But can you just tell me what are a couple of favorite things that you love about Jesus? Oh, gosh. Mm. I, I love the way he looks at people. I love the compassion that people saw in his eyes. I think of that woman caught in the act of adultery. I mean, humiliating, dragged into a crowd of men. But the look in Christ's eyes as he said, you know, where are your accusers? And she said, they're not here anymore. And Jesus said, and this is, I love the order in which he said this. He said, neither do I accuse yes. you. Now go and sin no more. It wasn't go and sin no more, and neither do I accuse you. Grace came first, and then the truth to live in that grace. I love him too. I love that too. He doesn't accuse. He invites, and then he makes a way. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that he saw the least likely. Um, I think so often, you you know, we'll we'll go to church, we'll go to a conference, and, and we feel like, you know, we're just a face in the midst of a crowd. But to Jesus, you are never a woman in a crowd. You are always, he always sees you. That woman with the issue of blood, he saw her. I mean, it's true of every encounter Christ had with women. There was a seeing and a knowing and and a loving. This bestowing of dignity that the King of Kings would. I think as as a young Christian, when I would go to church, it felt like it was perfection that was held up to me. Like the women that were held up as role models, they looked so good. They spoke so well. And, and I wasn't from a distance from them. So I thought their lives were perfect. I know now that if I had gotten closer, I would have learned something else. Yeah. But the message to me was, that's, that's it. And, and you need to look like that. And yeah. so I tried. I really tried to squeeze myself into mm. a mold um, like a spiritual Spanx to to be pleasing to God. And the revolution yeah. came to me when I 
learned and, and marinated on the truth in my heart, let it seep into my inner being that he is pleased right now. That, that Jesus actually did come. All of my sins were in the future when he came and died for me. That his love is untouchable. That, that nothing can separate me from his love and that it is right now and it is not conditional. It is so beautiful. beautiful? What a God we have. Yeah, no, it's breathtaking. It really is. And it is the reason why in the midst of the news feed, what's going on on any given day in the world and the, the level of sorrow and suffering honestly is increasing and in the midst of that to follow jesus and have our eyes fixed on him we actually can be a people known to be joyful we can the word defiant really means to stand against to stand against the tide to press again to say no to resist and we are resisting the world and embracing what god says and who he is and Sheila, you do that so well and invite us to do that. And I'm so grateful. Thank as, you. As we bring this to a landing, I, um, I was wondering if you would pray for our listeners. I would love to. Oh, wonderful. Father God, I love the fact that even though Stacy and I are in different states and those listening in are in different stages and places in their life, that we get to come together in your name at the throne of grace and mercy. And Father, I ask for, for everyone listening in, whether it's a man or a woman or a child, who questions, can I know joy in the midst of everything that's going on? I pray, Lord, that the, that the truth that Stacy has shared and that she shares in her new book would sink deep into the marrow of their bones and that they would know it's possible to live in this world that is so full of anger and confusion centered, knowing where true north is, that it is in you and that all that you offer is available right now, whether we find ourselves, you know, in a desperate place or place of space and freedom, that your joy, your love, that your grace, that your peace is available. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Mm, and amen. amen. Friends, if you want to connect with Sheila, she's on Facebook or you can look her up at SheilaWalsh.com or tune in and listen to her and her teaching on lifetoday.org. Sheila, thank you so much for joining me today. What a privilege, really. Thank you, Stacey. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. If you've been intrigued by this conversation about defiant joy, please join me next week. I'm going to be sharing and reading from chapter one of the book. 